Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about teaching people to see with the help of special guest Ian Schwan of Hunt Valley Preservation in Kent, Connecticut. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Everyone, Tim Fowler here and welcome to the Tim Fowler Show. Be sure and keep your ideas coming in for uh, what you want me to try to cover on the show and we'll do our very best to make that happen. Today, we're back on the training bandwagon. Now, we've been talking about it so much that I almost thought there was nothing left to cover. But as I talk to people and as more and more happens in our industry, I'm seeing that the need is still there. There's all kinds of different avenues that people are uh, exploring and certainly lots of different things that people are doing. In fact, we have another episode scheduled uh, to talk about training with uh, one of our friends from Kansas City. So our guest today actually emailed me and said, hey, I'd like to be on the show. Uh, so like I do with many people, I said, let's talk on the phone. Let's see what uh, we can make of the show. And I found his approach to training to be very refreshing. And I guess, I guess partially because it lines up philosophy that I've had for a long time. And that is, it goes along something like you give a man a fish and he eats for a day, teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. In other words, are we training people to think about how to do stuff on the job sites or are we just teaching them the mechanics of doing it? And so uh, our guest today was very much in line with the way I see things and uh, and has actually been practicing the things that he's talking about, which is a very cool thing as well, because this is a gentleman who is actually on the job site. It's another one of our guests who's in the trenches. And an awful lot of our guests are owners or managers that are not, you know, on the job site every day. But we love having people on who are on the job site working as lead project managers and so forth like that. So his perspective is on the job. It's not just something he heard at a seminar or uh, perhaps some theory that he's uh, heard about. He's also an accomplished author at this point. He has some articles that were published in the Journal of Light Construction. And so it's going to be really exciting to be able to share with him and talk about what he's doing with training. See? I am very excited to welcome Ian Schwant of Hunt Valley Preservation in Kent, Connecticut. He's been a lead carpenter estimator for the last 15 years. Ian believes that training tradespeople is an often overlooked part of the labor crisis facing construction and that lead carpenters are in the best position to have a positive effect on the development of young tradespeople. He has written a four-part series for JLC titled Building a Worker-Centered Crew that delves in, into this topic in depth. Welcome to the show, Ian. Hey, guys. Great to be on. Hey, Ian. So just a little bit more information about your current role uh, in the 
construction world? Yeah, so I've been uh, working as a lead carpenter for 15 years and recently picked up the estimating duties for Hudson Valley Preservation. And uh, that has really changed my outlook on how crews are put together. And that led to uh, looking at how guys are trained and what their skills are uh, from a very different perspective. Okay, so give us a little bit of an idea of how you were trained. And then how did that lead to uh, new thinking for you? Sure. I started off uh, working as a lot of guys do out of high school as a laborer for a couple of different companies doing different types of work, masonry, general modeling. And I found that I really like doing carpentry work. <laughs> and in, uh, in about 2002, 2003, I had the opportunity to sign up with the Carpenters Union out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And oh. part of their program was uh, a four-year apprenticeship. And they had their own training center that was run at the time independently from the union. So I had an opportunity to work under a lot of grizzled old uh, German carpenters and, and Austrian guys. Wow. Uh, and they, they saw everything very differently and really pushed us to not only learn the commercial side of the business, which is where the union bread and butter is, but to also understand how to build a house. And you know, one of my instructors like to say that if you can't build a deck for your neighbor or build a set of stairs for somebody, you're not a carpenter. And that always stuck with me and brought me on a, a lifelong path of learning. Okay. So give us a quick snapshot of what you're thinking now in terms of training. And then also like, what brought you to that? What, what brought you to thinking like, wow, we need kind of a new approach. So I guess my, my approach, like you said in the opener, is the, the teach a man to fish. And I think right. that lead carpenters have an opportunity along with their employers to start cultivating these young tradespeople into real long-term assets for a company and a crew. And too often I've been on jobs where guys are clearly just being taught how to do a specific task because that task has to be done immediately. Maybe the client's coming or the owner's coming and they want to see that siding up on the wall. Uh, so instead of explaining the processes of, of how you install siding, you know, you might just be showing a couple of guys how to, you know, quick get that siding on this wall, uh, you know, without relating it to, larger concepts in the trade, you know, your plumb level, you're, you're carrying things out across the wall between windows. Uh, and the, the siding example was one that we specifically had at my company uh, early last year, where through doing a lot of uh, renovation work on older homes and a lot of restoration stuff, I found that our crew at the time they were really good at taking out a window and patching it in, but they didn't really know how to take a wall that we just sheathed and put siding on it in an efficient way. And that's what really got me looking at, okay, what's, 
what's the forces that are causing this to happen? Um, yeah. And made me look at it differently and, and start reaching out to other guys uh, like David Gerstel and you and other people in the trades who you know, might have seen something like this before. So I think what you're saying is that that part of this training has to be like the, the why, not just this is how you cut a, a piece of siding that's 16 feet long and nail it up. But there's some kind of reasons behind it. And, and you mentioned this about maybe the clients coming out or something like that. How do you balance this um, need to explain why, how things have to line up and things like that. And the fact that you have a budget to meet, you know, by the hour uh, to get a job done. How, how do you, how do you reconcile the budget with all this discussion of the hows and the whys? Yeah, I think that is the the foremost challenge of the lean carpenter. You know, in, uh, in my articles, I refer to it as the triangle of obligations. And it's really, in my perspective, it's about being organized in how you manage those points. You, know, you have your, your client as somebody you have an obligation to, your employer, you obviously have an obligation to, but you also have that obligation to the crew. When your crew is young, you have an obligation to teach them. Uh, but I find it's really, it's, it's being organized and it's having a good structure where the lead carpenter has set times to meet with clients and to meet with the owners of the company and make sure that, that the three of them are on the same page. So too often I talk to other guys and they're, they're chasing around a decision that hasn't been made or maybe they haven't gotten the actual budget for the job yet so they don't really know what's in it <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and it's not setting a guy in a, a lead carpenter position up to succeed and too often I think the uh, the point of the triangle that gets forgotten is the crew because right. the crew is going to show up and they're going to they're gonna do what they're told uh, but they may not become that asset that they could if they were getting an equal share of the attention. So just as a quick aside here, now that you're doing estimating, are you actually putting time in an estimate for this training that's taking place? So we have a, a certain amount of training built right into our burden labor rate. Okay, which cool. I, I think is, is probably the best way to do it. And that, sort of stems from in the union trades there is a built-in part of the burdened labor to cover the apprenticeship school yep and i think that's a that's a great way to do it even in just your your regular remodeling trades because you have to recoup that time somehow but it's hard to quantify on an estimate spreadsheet well you have you have just put something into context for me that I've been yakking about the unions get, the unions get paid to people and we've been so afraid of price that we don't put it in there. And I, you cannot see how excited I am about what you just said. That is absolutely cool stuff. I wanted to take a minute to let you know about an event we have coming up in March. 
the Extreme Business Makeover. It is two days of interactive presentation and hands-on work that helps you prepare your remodeling business for 2020 and beyond. You will walk away with action items, spreadsheets, books, tools, everything you need to go back to your office and get started. The best part is the interaction and networking with remodelers and custom builders facing challenges just like you. We've also just added Bruce Case as a featured speaker, and he's the president of Case Remodeling in Washington, D.C. area, and they've been hugely successful. You'll get to pick his brain and ask him anything that can help you run a strong, successful remodeling company. It's being held March 30th and 31st at the BWI Weston in Baltimore, Maryland. It's a five-minute Uber ride to the hotel from the airport, so it's easy in, easy out. For more information and to get registered, you can go to www.extrememakeoverevent.com, and we look forward to seeing you there. Okay, so neck up, neck down. What I mean, that's those are two terms that, that you used in the articles and that in our conversation on the phone. What's the difference between neck up and neck down? So one of uh, one of the grizzled old carpenters I worked under used to like to say to me when I was carrying something heavy, son, I'm paid from the neck up, you're paid from the neck down. And that was, that was his way of explaining, I'm here to do all the thinking, you're here to do all the work. And that really always stuck with me throughout my career. And I've turned it around into explaining to guys that work under me the difference between the neck up and neck down skills. You know, your neck up skill is your understanding why you're putting siding on or the best method to get that continuous line when you've got six windows breaking up a wall. And I like the neck up, neck down because it, it makes you think first before you do. And you got too too many guys that we've all seen that just get their tools out and they just start going uh, without really thinking what they're going to do all the way through. So can you explain uh, what this looks like on a job site if if you're a lead carpenter and let's just say you've got two people there that are and siding is a great example that are that you're going to be doing siding. What does this look like? real practical uh, situation? So when I start a new project or a new task on the project with the crew, I like to walk the crew through and give them the the step-by-steps. You know, this is how I would start this wall of siding, whether it's setting up a transit or leveling off of an existing corner. But I think it's important that they understand the theory of what they're doing because they're not going to learn anything if you just cut up a spacer block for them and say, we're doing four and a half exposure today. Here's a four and a half inch block. Uh, You know, they're not going to understand what that means. And in remodeling, I feel they're not going to understand where they can cheat and where they need to do something a little off level to make it blend in, you know, with the side of a, a house that might have been sided in, you know, 1790. Uh, I think that's one of the big challenges that's caused me to see the difference between new con, uh, new construction and remodeling. 
Yes. So you've had the benefit of working in an area where 1790 is a real possibility. I know all across <laughs> the country, uh, people are going like 1790. Uh, our oldest house is, uh, you know, 1890. <laughs> so, sure. uh, but, but I think that's another great point that remodeling, there's always a place where you have to give a little bit. And unless you understand the concepts behind it, you, you may not know where that place is and you might make a mistake in uh, actually doing that. So you, you walk them through. So I've often looked at this and tell me if this is a, a good analogy or not. I've often looked at this like flashing. So a big deal has been made about how to set windows so you don't have any leaking. And I've seen, you know, very, very concrete demonstrations on this is how you do a window. But none of the conversation really has to do with how does water move? You know, capillary action, uh, windblown water, that kind of thing. It strikes me that that's probably the first thing to teach, then teach how to, how to set the window. Is that, is that kind of what we're talking about here? Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about, Tim. It's you have to understand what you're trying to accomplish by what you're doing. And the water analogy is a, a great one. And you run into that even with siding on rain screens. You know, a lot of guys, the first time they do a, a rain screen detail and they have the flashing on the windows, you know, there's a, in remodeling especially, there's a, a lot of things that have to line up and you don't have the benefit of, when you take it apart, it's, it looks different. So you don't have the benefit of, Oh, we're just putting it back exactly as we took it off. Uh, so I think that's a really good explanation. So do you, do you advocate any kind of classroom time for new people or, pre or I'm putting air quotes here, apprentices coming into the company, or do you feel like this is best done on site? So the, the apprenticeship I took included, uh, I want to say it was uh, 600 hours of yep. class time. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. And I personally got, I got a lot out of that. And I took additional night classes at the apprenticeship hall. That's where I got my supervisory training uh, through the AGC. Uh, I think it's, it's a case to case basis. There are some guys who, you know, they're going to learn by being thrown into it. Uh, you know, they're the guys that, you know, you can leave them off, leave them on site when you have to go to a different job, they're going to stay productive and they're thinking while they're working. Uh, I wish there was a place where guys could get that little bit of classroom training. Uh, outside of the union. I think we're, as an industry, still a little disjointed uh, for that that type of experience. But uh, YouTube is a great one. I send guys YouTube videos all the time of things that we're going to be doing, especially if it's a totally new task for that tradesperson. I try and find a, an article in JLC or find home building that they can look at uh, and see the details for it before we we get in on site. Yeah, this is a, again, I'm, again, you can't see just how excited I am <laughs> this because one of the things that I've been pushing business owners is to get information into people's hands before they face the task. Let the head yep. 
think about it a little bit. And so that, and of course, I'm a little older. YouTube is a little bit not my thing. <laughs> but the articles, YouTube, all those kinds of things, I think that's just a fantastic point uh, to get it in their heads before they're on site. And then when the lead carpenter says uh, rain screen, they know something about what that is or bevel cut or seat cut or something like that. That is, yep. is that kind of what you're talking about? That's, that's exactly right. And one of the things that I've done is I'll put together a package of PDFs for an apprentice that's going to be doing a new task. And, you know, a lot of guys don't like their crew to have their phone on them, but I think there are so many good apps out there and you can put a package of PDFs together and text it to a guy and they can just pull it out of their pocket, look at the pictures, see the detail that you've pre-selected and found for them that, that matches the task at hand. Uh, and I think that's so valuable and, and it's going to be more valuable in the future, uh, especially as we get more and more purely visual learners into the trades. Right. Ian, this is this has really been so important and just fantastic. But, um, you know, I used to work with a carpenter as well. He used to, when we were framing, would say, we're not building a church. And basically that just says that, um, you know, there are different, you know, as you put it, cheat ways that you learn through experience. And that's, that's fantastic stuff. So what is your philosophy on, uh, or yeah, I guess your program on transferring to the neck up, uh, behavior. So, or neck, neck up activities where you have somebody that you're showing something, you know, real world versus, uh, in the field, how are you transitioning to let them to start taking those leads or questioning or testing? How do you do that? So one of the things that I like to do with uh, a trade guy, trade person that's younger, might have just done something for the first time, is at the end of the day, I like to step back with him and go, all right, so what did you learn from doing this? Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you didn't think I explained well enough to you or a snag that you found maybe in tying an old part of the building to the new part of the building? that needed to be thought through more. And I've found that by putting the guy on the spot and asking him that, that type of question, you know, it gives them an opportunity to one, think about it in that same term as the lead carpenter or the owner of a company would have to, but then you can really gauge their uh, ability to understand the work when they explain it back to you. Yep. And I think that's that's where I've really found where guys are picking things up and where they're not maybe picking something else up that they need to work harder on. Uh, yeah, another great piece of advice I got when I was an apprentice was, you know, you learn something new every single day. So on your way home, think about the new things that you learn. Don't think about what bar you're going to go to that night or what you're going to do on the weekend. Think about, oh, you know, this this guy pointed out that the, the rake angle of a roof and, and the, the angle of the stairs going up are pretty close to the same. You know, what is what does that tell me going into the future? Yeah, and if you're familiar with the Feynman technique of learning, that's exactly it. You'll learn information or get taught information, and then you then ex 
uh, write it down or explain it to someone in your own words. And that really yep. is one of the best techniques for learning. I found on top of learning, it's just a really quick way for a lead who's tuned into his crew to know that they're getting it, to know that the, the lead is, is succeeding in transferring that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So as we're starting to wrap this up, Ian, uh, the notes that we shared a little bit before getting on the podcast, you, you, you broached this, this question and I'd like you to comment on it. Like what can we do as an industry to compete for the workforce out there for that would otherwise go electrician, plumber, factory worker, there are still blue collar industries. How do we in the remodeling and the carpentry world compete for those workers? Sure. I, I think that we have to create a working environment that these young workers are going to come on to and they're going to see the things that they can learn ahead, but they're also going to see that the lead wants to teach them. Uh, I think a lot of these blue-collar industries, my wife is a chef, and we talk about how we're competing for the same young workers all the time. Uh, and her industry is similar to ours. A lot of places, they take the new new guy and they throw him on sweeping the floor or some other crap job, and you know, they, they don't really see the future in it. And then right. if that doesn't change over... Uh, a quick enough time, that's when they'll get the wandering eye and maybe they got some friend that's working as an electrician that can get them in or uh, working in a factory and maybe they'll go try that. It's. I think we need to start looking at it in terms of when that young worker leaves working for our trade to go try another one, they're probably not coming back to our trade. Right. Well, this has been... So cool. I hope everybody knows uh, from the excitement in my voice about just some of the exciting stuff that I've picked up here. Uh, just it's like every podcast. I learn something. So, Ian, thank you so, so much with us today. And uh, I, I hope people get as much out of this as I have. All right, Tim and Steve, it's been great being on with you. Thanks, Ian. Take care. Well, Tim, I know you said multiple times during the show, you can't see me, but well, I can see you and I can see the excitement. Uh, why don't you just kind of give your review of what you've learned? Because there was a bunch. Oh, there's four things here that just jump right out at me. Number one, build your training budget into your labor burden. Yep. What a great concept. Awesome. Uh, I think uh, Sean McCadden shared with us that building the profit sharing into that labor burden something that he was uh, recommending. Uh, so fantastic. Training people to think so they can know when to cheat. I, I just, I, I wrote down cheat just right away because in remodeling, that's a big deal, right? Yep. You have to know where can you, where can you uh, just shift a little bit to make sure that it all works out. The whole idea of getting people a YouTube video yep. or a magazine before they're on the site to learn the task from the lead carpenter, absolutely. The idea of a PDF fits in with one of the podcasts we did a little while ago with the project manager from California. That's what his company was doing uh, with him. And then the idea of asking them, you know, what did you learn, you know, 
what was there something else I needed to share with you? All those kinds of things. Absolutely key points for having a great training program. Yeah, this was this was a really great show, and I hope to uh, have Ian on again. And you know, you and I, we've we've gotten so many fantastic snippets on training. And at some point, just want to kind of bring it all together because there, there's just been so much great stuff in addition today. So once again, we would like to thank Ian Schwant for joining us today. And we always want to thank you for listening to another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. And remember, at The Tim Fowler Show, we're working hard to eliminate it is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast-track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.